Amen. Thanks, Nick. Um, anybody else excited that Advent's here? I love Advent. Um, such a good time of, of year and celebrating leading up to Christmas. And um, I think it's fitting that we are talking about the work of Christ as we are starting the celebration of Advent, especially in the light of like asking the question, why did Jesus come? Why the incarnation? What was the purpose? Um, and I think uh, Advent is such a, a beautiful um, reason to celebrate that and to relook at why Jesus came. Um, so excited to, to jump into that again with you all tonight. Um, I think it's funny. So, you know, we all know the phrase like, Jesus is the real reason for the season, right? But I'm like, why did Jesus come? You know, he came to, to save us, to give us salvation. So like, Argue, argument could be made that, you know, we are the reason of the this, of this season, right? I'm just kidding. Not really. <laughs> but, um, yeah, excited to jump into this with you guys. Um, I, I started this last time. Uh, why study theology? Um, like, if we're studying theology to just to learn more um, and to, to grow in knowledge, but that knowledge doesn't lead us into deeper intimacy with the Lord, to um, marveling more more deeply at him or worshiping him more fully, then, then I think we're missing the point. And so I really want to, um, again, like preface this whole night and what we're jumping into um, to have a heart and a posture of, Lord, um, teach us more of who you are and to lead us more deeply into relationship with you because of who you are and who you say we are in light of that. Um, so last, last time, two weeks ago, we, we started, um, we talked about um, the atonement. We, we spent some time recapping the Old, Tis- Old Testament sacrificial system, um, how Jesus functions as both the high priest and the ultimate sacrifice, and Hebrews 9 and 10 are incredible um, passages that, that kind of pull... Um, a lot of themes from the Old Testament sacrificial system and applying that to Jesus and helping us understand just what Jesus did on the cross for us. Um, And so tonight, I want to continue our discussion from what we talked about last time, um, but doing this through that, that question of why. Why did Jesus come? What's the purpose for the incarnation? And, um, and what, what are the works that Jesus accomplished? So where we left off last time, we didn't get to quite jump into Jesus as substitution. And we were getting to that point last week, um, but we didn't quite get to this. Um, and I think what's important that we need to talk about, especially with Jesus as our substitute, is um, punishment is necessary for sin. That there are consequences that come because of sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And, and Paul is pulling this from Genesis 2, after, after the fall of Adam and Eve, when God says that you will surely die if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There, there's a consequence um, for, for disobedience. Sin um, produces death. So, because of God's holiness, back to the importance of, of understanding you know, this isn't just a, a separate doctrine that we, we look at isolated, that, but 
all of these doctrines from God to humanity to the person of Jesus to the need for redemption because of sin, like all of these are organically tied together. So pulling back from who God is, because of God's holiness and his obligation to uphold justice, he's decidedly opposed to and bears immense wrath against sin. This is not to say that God is not loving or merciful. This is just to say that he is 100% holy and just, just as he is 100% loving and merciful at the same time. He cannot be who he's not. That would go against his perfect nature. But because he's holy and just, punishment for sin must be handed down, and satisfaction for this, uh, for this wrath must be made. This is a huge reason for the sacrificial system that we talked about last week, the concept of life for life, blood for blood, and innocent standing in the place of guilty. And these vicarious sacrifices drove home the concept of sin resulting in death, of one bearing the punishment and dying in the place of another. The vicariousness of sacrifice is significant in understanding of of Jesus' atoning sacrifice because it highlights our understanding of him as substitute. And specifically, not just substitute, but it's important that we know Jesus as our penal substitute. And that word penal just comes from uh, the Latin, which means punishment. Um, Jesus as our atoning sacrifice was our punishment-bearing substitute. He had to be. If he wasn't, then atonement and forgiveness would not have been possible. Uh, One way we see this is by understanding Jesus' sacrifice as a propitiation. Um, One key passage for understanding this comes from Romans chapter 3, specifically verse 25, but I'm going to read 23 to 25. Uh, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and and are justified, by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So here in verse 25, Paul declares that God put Jesus forth as propitiation, which just is further defining Jesus as punishment-bearing, Uh, as a punishment-bearing sacrifice. Through propitiation, Jesus turns away the wrath of God from the sinner. The heart of this word, propitiation, is to turn away, to remove, to appease. Um, There's an objective reality that is accomplished through this propitiation. And that's precisely because of Jesus' sacrifice, his sin-bearing, punishment-bearing death on the cross, which appeased God's wrath. Um, other verses that affirm this um, are 1 John 2, 2. He's the propitiation for our sins, not, and not for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And just a couple chapters after that in verse, uh, or chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. One of the most significant passages that speaks to this, um, Jesus as our substitute, is Isaiah 53. Uh, One commentator says that no other passage from the Old Testament was as important to the church as Isaiah 53. This passage gives description of the suffering servant, and it is this suffering servant who many New Testament writers regarded to be fulfilled in Jesus, which we obviously believe as well. 
Um, but Isaiah, I want to read Isaiah uh, 53, verses 4 through 6, and then 10 through 12. And then just, just as you're listening along or following along, um, take notes of where, where you might see this idea of substitution or sacrifice or, or Jesus bearing, the, the suffering servant bearing uh, something for someone else. So verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned, we, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall... Or sorry, I've skipped to verse 10 if you're, if you're wondering. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By... His, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with many transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Uh, Man, there's a lot that you can unpack just from this alone, and we, we don't have time to, to go um, into detail with all of this, but the point being, um, very clearly in the Old Testament, one, or the, the promised Messiah to come was seen, and they, they were looking for someone who would be able to uh, take away sins, that, that there would be punishment that would be put upon this one who was to come. And the apostles understood Jesus um, in this way. They, they, many more than just these examples here, but many pull from Isaiah 53. Um, Peter does this a lot. First Peter 2.24, um, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And again in uh, 3.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. Um, and then Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, he says, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the requirement for sin to be punished is made necessary by God's requirement to satisfy his holiness and his justice. The only way that we can be forgiven and for our sins to be atoned is if someone takes this punishment for us and dies in our place. And as harsh as it may sound, um, penal substitution and propitiation for sins is a necessary part of the atonement in our understanding of Jesus' work. Um, but, but what I, what I want to turn here is it, it wasn't just God's wrath. 
and the need for his wrath to be satisfied. It wasn't just these things which initiated this Advent, this season that we now celebrate of Jesus coming um, just to be a substitute and to die for us. Just as much as it was God's wrath, it was also God's love, just the same. We can't forget um, the nature of God like we started with. Just as he is 100% holy, he is 100% um, love as well and merciful. It may seem that in this past discussion, um, Jesus' sacrifice is only for appeasing wrath, um, but it is so much more than this. The divine trinity, God, Son, and Spirit, have been in, in one accord um, for all eternity. For all of redemptive history, they have had one plan in mind. Um, Jesus did not come unwillingly. Jesus came to bear the sins of the world, to bring us back to God as we were created, uh, just like we were created for. Um, so many good passages that we could jump into for this. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Romans 5, um, 8 and 9, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In 1 John 4.10, uh, we've read this one. I think this is such a key uh, verse to understand this whole, the beauty of God's love and God's holiness needing to be met um, and how those are met in Jesus. Um, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us to be the propitiation for our sins. So I wanted to uh, bring us back to the question that we started with. Um, why did Jesus come? What was the purpose of Advent, of the incarnation, of Jesus' accomplished work? Um, through Christ's atoning sacrifice, we have been forgiven, and our standing before God has been changed. We're no longer condemned as an enemy of God, but welcomed to know him as Father, as his sons and daughters. And more than just being saved from the punishment of sin, we have been saved into a new reality, a new way of knowing God and a new way of relating to him precisely because of this work that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. What once was severed and re uh, what once was severed has now been reconciled and restored and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Through the work of Christ, it is possible now to be united with him, to be in union with Jesus. And I believe that this is the second answer to the question of why. Why did God come? Or why did God in Jesus come to take away the sins of the world? Well, it, wasn't, it was so much, yes, to take away the sins, but it was also to redeem and, and restore something that had been broken. We are able to be united with Jesus because Jesus is also our representative. Jesus represents us. And because of this, because we are in union with him, um, our, our standing before God has changed. So we partly talked about this last time. Um, Jesus is our representative by being our high priest and by being the sacrifice. Uh, he represented us before God as the high priest, as the, the um, priest would on the Day of Atonement. 
And he also did this by presenting himself as a sacrifice offered on our behalf. Um, But in the same way, Jesus became a new representative for all of humanity. There are only two representative figures that everybody in in the world will will fall under. You're either represented um, in, in union with Adam, or you are represented by and in union with Christ. In Adam, we are dead in our sin, um, but in Jesus, if we are in union with him, we have new life. We've been buried with him in his death and resurrected to new, to new life through his resurrection. Um, Paul talks about this in Romans 5, 12, 21. Um, we don't have time to jump into it tonight, but that's such a pivotal passage talking about the representation of um, being represented in uh, Adam or in Jesus and how Jesus uh, through his perfect obedience, reverses the disobedience of Adam. Um, but by being fully man and, and having fulfilled the life, uh, fulfilled living life the way that it was intended to live, Jesus is now able to fully represent all of humanity in a new way before God, um, before God the Father. And it's through our union with Christ and by being made new in him that we are now represented by Jesus. And by being represented by him, we are given um, and represented by his righteousness, resulting in our new life through Christ, having become a new creation through our death and resurrection with him. And I do want to read, this is from Romans 6, uh, 3 through 5. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And I want to take uh, the last few minutes here before we go into groups um, looking at what I think is um, an incredible and helpful way that early church fathers look at this um, union with Christ and how this speaks to this, this question of why did Jesus come? What was the purpose of the incarnation? And um, there's so much richness um, within church history and, and tradition of, of the uh, early church fathers that... Um, as good as the Reformation has been um, and how much we've taken from it, uh, a lot of the things that the Reformers knew and believed, but they didn't necessarily talk about or write, has been forgotten. Or uh, it has been assumed that um, many people believe that Reformers knew this and assumed that everybody knew this, and so they didn't write about it because they were trying to combat so many other uh, key topics with um, uh, the the... Roman Catholic Church, and there's a lot of history with this. <laughs> um, but I want to briefly look tonight, um, unfortunately briefly look tonight, at what some of the early church fathers had to say about this union with Jesus. Um, and I, it's hard because I don't want to get too far into this concept of union with Christ because um, there's really another article that really unpacks this even more. But I think it's important enough to at least look at it tonight and introduce it in this article since we are talking about what did Jesus accomplish. And he did accomplish and made this a reality of being in union 
with him. Um, a lot of this I've learned from a professor that I had who is a early church patristic um, guru. Like he, he's this brilliant guy and he's written this work called Life in the Trinity and he's looking at um, specific strands within the, the um, patristic fathers in the early church and what they believed and, and um, how, how that can help our study of theology today. And what's cool is like a lot of our theology, again, we look at it from a compartmentalized, um, in a compartmentalized way, but the early church looked at it from the complete opposite. They weren't trying to figure out how does, how does God relate to me? We're, we're starting with God and saying, okay, this is God's world. How do we relate to him? How do we fit into his world? And um, they do this by, by starting with God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in looking at God, um, even in three persons, but fully one, one God, in perfect harmony together, and, and building their theology from that, from that vantage point. So, um, when speaking of, of union with Christ and being united to him, the patristic fathers of the early church had a specific word that captured the significance of, of what Jesus' atoning work accomplished. Um, and this, if you looked at your homework and you're like, I have no idea what this word is, this is it. <laughs> um, it's uh, the word called theosis. And the way that this is defined is um, participation. Theosis is participation in the father-son relationship. Or saying it another way, theosis is sharing the love between the persons within the Trinity. So at the heart of this, the early church believed that life in the Trinity was uh, how life was supposed to be lived. The question they asked, uh, again, was, was not how does God relate to us, but how do we relate to him? So seeing the Trinity as one of the primary reasons for our existence, they believed that they were created, that we were created out of the abundance of God's grace and love to share the perfect relational harmony that exists within the Trinity within the created order. Um, and this was the, the thrust of this word, theosis. As God's creatures made in his image, we have been created to share in the divine fellowship that exists within the Trinity. Um, this is how, uh, his name is Dr. Fairbairn, um, describes it in his book. And I have a couple other quotes um, from him that I want to get through to kind of fill in this word because um, I think there's so much good in it. Um, he says, God intended human beings to share his presence both with God and with each other. He even wanted to ensure that there would be more people around the world who could share this presence with each other. The relationship between the persons of the Trinity was so valuable that God created people in his image to share that relationship. And this sharing was meant to take place not merely through people's relationship to God, but also through human relationships with one another. Humanity is initially linked to God and called to image forth the Son's relationship to God. Human life as God meant it to be, as God created it initially, was life in the Trinity. So we were created, we were created to participate in this divine fellowship within the Trinity. To intimately know the depth of love, to experience the joyful harmony that ex uh, exists within the Trinity, 
But the fall of man severed this. Sin's arrival separated us from this divine fellowship, theosis, and with it came the deadly consequences of life apart from God. Humanity lost the initial blessing God had given to Adam and Eve. Uh, so where, where are we going with this? Um, I'm simply trying to just pull the implications of, of all that Christ's work accomplished through um, his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. What once was severed, humanity's union with God, um, Christ came to restore. He came to redeem. Because of the effects of sin, substitutionary sacrifice and propitiation for sin um, was necessary. But not only does Christ's work of redeeming and restoring us by uniting to himself as our representative bring about forgiveness, it ushers us into a completely new reality of relating with God, namely that we are able to experience this theosis, uh, this sharing and participating with the, the fellowship with the, the Trinity once again. The triune God marked by perfect love who made the world to share um, with them his own very love was compelled by this same love to send his own son to die in our place as the greatest expression of this divine love to make this redemption and restoration possible. Um, another way that um, Dr. Fairburn goes on to expound on this, he says, what Jesus claims to give people is a share in the fellowship he and the Spirit have enjoyed with the Father from all eternity. Salvation, or heaven, apart from Christ is inconceivable. Precisely because salvation is Christ, salvation is our, is our sharing in Christ's relationship to his eternal Father. Um, some of the, the best scripture to study this from this vantage point is the upper room discourse in John, where John, um, cha John chapters 13 through 17, and this is kind of Jesus's, uh, like it's the night before he's, he's um, going to be crucified. He knows this is his last night with his disciples. And so he's just kind of giving it all to them of what's coming and what's important. And, uh, you know, love others as I love you. And he washes their feet. Um, you're not going to do this alone. I'm giving you a helper to come, the Holy Spirit, who will help you remember all of this stuff. He's, he's not trying to give them all the answers. He's saying, just, just hold tight. John 15, abide in me. And I will abide in you, and you will have joy to the full. Um, and then you get to the, the beautiful prayer, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. And he lays out, um, oh man, just so many beautiful things. And if you go and read that prayer through this lens, I think, um, I think you'll read it in a new way. It's awesome. And I wish we had time to go through it tonight. Um, but what I, I want to end here, and I just want to say, how does this happen? How does this, the, the possibility of um, theosis happen, of being in union with Jesus, um, how does that happen? It's all because, well, because of his death, but also, I think just as significantly, because of his resurrection. Just as it was Jesus' triumphant victory over death, it is also our great victory and affirmation of our union with God once again, precisely because Jesus is our representative. Um, and this might be my, my last quote from Fairbairn, but he says it well when he says, With the resurrection and ascension, Jesus, considered man, has been restored to the fellowship of the Trinity that he had been in previously. 
This means that a person who has borne all human sin and suffered estrangement from God has been accepted back into the fellowship he had previously lost. Precisely because the humanity of Jesus represents our humanity, we too can be restored to that fellowship as we are united to him. The rejection and reacceptance of the divine son in his human nature um, affects us because his human nature is linked to our humanity. And through our connection to that human nature, we too can be brought back into fellowship with God. So through union with Jesus, our righteous representative, he brings us with him back into the fellowship of the Trinity. It's through this incredible work that we now, in Christ, are able to know God as our Father. We have been adopted as God's children and are able to enjoy the perfect fellowship that exists within the Trinity because of our union with him. And there's so much more that we could pull from this and um, explain, um, but that's for other articles. And I don't want to jump in. We don't have time to jump into that tonight. Um, But to close... Um, just want to affirm what we have talked through with this doctrine um, the last couple of weeks. This doctrine affirms that the grounds for salvation are met and found through the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. There's no work that we could do on our own to accomplish this, nor any other person other than Jesus alone who could accomplish this for us. The atoning work of Christ has explained what Christ has done to make salvation a reality for us. That by the blood of Christ, through his sacrificial, substitutional death, we have been forgiven. And because of our union with him as our representative, we are redeemed and restored back to the fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So um, I just want to end, just as we started here, um, with the reminder of the, the purpose of why are we doing this? What, what's the point of studying theology? Again, it's to draw us deeper into the heart of God and to be changed by knowing him more. And so I wanted to close with reading these words from Revelation chapter 5, where John says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, we give you praise for you are worthy. You were slain on our behalf. Your precious blood has ransomed us and our lives belong to you. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love and the way that um, you have, have taken on our sins, that you were our substitute and died the death that we should have died Um, Also, that we can come back to relationship with you, to know you as we were created to know you. Um, Lord, I pray that as we celebrate this Advent season, that our hearts are open to you and to where you are working. Lord, that we um, see you and and make space for you to to fill our hearts, to fill our minds, um, and that we can enjoy this fellowship that you have redeemed and restored for us um, to know you and to know the love and the the fellowship that has existed within um, 
the divine trinity for all eternity. Bless conversations tonight, Lord, and uh, whatever is before us this week, um, we give to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.